G'day everyone, my name is Tom Craig and you're listening to my podcast, The Help Side, where we speak to some of the most recognisable names in world hockey and get an insight into who they are, what they're about and what makes them tick. Now if you like what you hear, feel free to follow our socials at The Help Side on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd absolutely love that. Now today's guest burst onto the international hockey scene in 2014 and has since mesmerised defenders and spectators alike with his skill and speed. Hailing from Wollongong on New South Wales' south coast, Flynn Ogilvy has been through a lot in his journey to 109 games for Australia, including a Commonwealth Games gold and a berth of the World Cup, both in 2018. For our very first live helpside chat, which is very exciting, we're bringing you this interview in two parts, this being the first of which, part A. In this part, Flynn talks about what it's like to grow up in a family of six sibling hockey players and takes us on his journey from playing juniors in the gong to a whirlwind move to Perth in order to vie for a spot at the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. We then talk about things he's learned in overcoming a serious injury which put him out for the better part of a year. Now, Flynn's a ripping lad and speaks very plainly about the highs and lows of living in a high-performance environment and I hope you enjoy the help side of Flynn Ogilvy. Here come Australia, full back. Cracked in. As easy as you like for Ogilvy. Hayward slides it in. Stolen by Ogilvy. Oh, what a shot on the reverse. Joyce didn't see it until it had beaten him. Brand, head up, pulls it back, finds Anderson. Anderson drops it out on the reverse. It goes Flynn Ogilvy. It's 2-0 Australia. Flynn Ogilvie, help side, thanks for joining me. First face-to-face interview, actually. I'm on it. And to be fair, I wish we were doing this over a beer, but because we have training in an hour, waters and coffees will have to do. First question, we're back in Sydney for, obviously, COVID has cooked the DTE, etc. And we're back. Um, how's that been? It's a big shift? Yeah, uh, COVID screwing everything up, basically, but... The one positive was we got to come home for a big chunk, and um, we love New South Wales. I know you love being back in Sydney. I love being in Wollongong. Uh, so yeah, that was great. That was exciting. First two months was awesome, and then I started to get a little bit bored, not doing mm. too much. Um, so now just trying to find ways to stay entertained. Yeah, true, true. And everyone back in Sydney, or big family, one of six, I believe. One of six. Everyone. Oh, or Early just moved home. Who was in Perth with me? Um, but my oldest brother's still in New Zealand. Yeah, so okay. he's the only one not back in New South Wales. Busy household. Busy. Oh, I'm staying with my girlfriend, Katie, yep. who lives in Wollongong. Yeah. And mum and dad are in Winona, which is just north of Wollongong. And Ellie and Orchard with them. Yeah, with, sure. uh, their new baby and Kevin until they find a house. So Kevin being... It is a busy household. The, the dog. The dog that's... Famous. Yeah. Notorious. Everyone knows Even. Kevin. Kevin, he's a good boy. Um... How's that work? Being like living in Perth, obviously a lot of your family back in the East Coast. I know you're a proud Wollongong boy. Um, there was a stage there where you you had the oh, I love the gong or we love the gong sticker on your stick, which people yes. might have seen. Is that still there? Not still there. Why not? Uh, I think if I just brought in a rule, oh, you couldn't have stickers, but uh-huh. also just faded out. It was tough to get a we love the gong sticker in Perth. Yeah, true. So. True, <laughs> true. Pretty exclusive <laughs> market. How does that work? Living in Perth, you've been in Perth for a long time. Um, probably moved at the end of 2014 how'd you how'd you feel about that because it was pretty quick eh? like I, I moved over at the same time as you and it was kind of like we had AHL 
and then we were invited over to a camp and then all of a sudden like we were almost there forever so yeah how'd that how'd that um paint that picture for us yeah it was it was quick i think for, for us i um i'm not sure about you but i never went to a vaa which was sort of like a when you visit from a different state to get used to training so i never went to one of them didn't really know what to expect going to perth luckily we had that time in november december where we got to train and play some games get a bit used to it before moving over mm. um but yeah it was really quick i don't think i knew how big it was when we moved i was 21 didn't really know how much i'd miss my family and stuff mm. like that and probably didn't miss them to the extent that i do now when you get older and yeah everyone starts to have kids and stuff and you, you know you're missing out on a lot um being over in perth so I think as the years went on, I started to miss home more than at the start. At the start, it was just exciting to be over there, yeah, doing what you want to do, yeah, training, playing for the national team. But then, yeah. as you get older, you start to realise you're you're missing out on certain things. Yeah, true, true. And it happened pretty quickly. I mean, like there wasn't a lot of time to to really think about it at the start. Is that is that your recollection of it? Um, yeah, Re- really quick. Um, we went over in end of 2014 and played those games but still wasn't confirmed whether we would mm. be in the squad for the next year so then got the call from I think it was POS um, saying that I was I forget what they called it that player oh, yeah. the, in the development squad but oh, yeah, yeah. a scholarship oh, so, I don't know what that's called yeah I forget what it's called so not <laughs> technically in the national squad but training with the national squad yeah. um, and then yeah I think it was about a month or so Yeah, I remember talking to couple of people saying not sure whether I want to go over considering I wasn't getting paid yeah what everyone else was getting paid but in the end it would have been silly to turn it down yeah yeah wait that was at the start of 2015 yeah was it oh, okay me and Beltsy for the whole year mm-hmm. really so you didn't get paid at all that first year no we got paid oh we didn't get the uh DAS oh we got all the hockey trade payments ah gotcha jeez I had no idea <laughs> that's crazy did you you didn't work either did you didn't work but you moved in straight with Orch, who's your Simon Orchard, your brother-in-law now. Yeah, him and um, Ellie, who's my sister. That was good? Uh, yeah, that was great. Um, I think it would have been much harder if I didn't move in with them. Uh, Ellie, being my sister, made, made it easier, not missing family as much. And Orch, being part of the squad as well, uh, made it a lot easier. Um, I think I was quite, a, well, I still am quite a shy person. Mm. So um, moving in with him made it, made it really easy to just get amongst the group a bit. If I, I think if I moved over um, by myself or with some some of the, only, the younger guys, I don't think I would have been of out, as outgoing. Mm. So he brought me along to all the all the events and even played in the same club team as me. So he introduced me to those guys as well. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. made it a lot easier. Yeah, okay. Um, I was actually doing some background research. Yeah. There's not a lot, admittedly, on hockey players. I'll say this to everyone, but you can find something. And you mentioned him being your, your hockey hero in... Um, in this FIH player profile interview, which the listeners are now familiar with, because that's where I get ninety-five percent of my information, so it might be wrong. But um, I've heard some of the stats you've pulled off this yeah. FIH player profile. <laughs> Jerry's ones were great. Jerry's got good stats. <laughs> um, he's been he's been accused of having not great stats, but he's got he's got good stats. Um, yeah, Orch hockey hero. Is that something that you kind of developed later, or is that true? Uh, I wouldn't really say I had hockey heroes mm. growing up. I just really enjoyed playing hockey but mm. if there was one it probably would have been Orch just he was so close to our family um, got to know him a bit yeah. when I was younger um, he actually no he didn't coach me he coached against me at a talent camp 
Oh, really? In Impossible's Probables game. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think Butters was my coach and then yeah. George was the uh, other team's coach. Seriously. So, yeah, got to know him a fair bit and he's quite a fun guy. So, yeah, it was good, good fun spending some time with him as a young kid and then getting to live with him. Yeah, okay. And he played similar position to you as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I like like to sort of see similar games, sort of like you as well. We speed through the midfield, so yeah. that, that was his strength. So, like, learning a lot from him with that sort of stuff was, was really good. Yeah, and there's a bit of a... I know I, when I first moved over, I moved in with Matthew Swan. Um, there is a little bit of, a, like, a culture of moving in with older older players and that sort of thing. Why do you reckon that is? I have no idea. I think Hockey Australia encourage it, just mm. so... Um, younger guys feel more welcome but um it it should be encouraged if it's not encouraged because it makes it so much easier yeah, yeah. uh i don't know if i would have stayed there if i moved over by myself yeah yeah someone to kind of show the ropes and yeah that sort of thing um so the team when you moved over it was it was kind of like the the back end of that um i guess kind of golden era of of modern australian hockey anyway i mean that was probably the most dominant team in 2014, like the World Cup. We talk about it a fair bit, but they, they wiped all the other teams off the park and that was kind of the group that um, you were moving into when you moved over. As a 21-year-old, what was that like? Yeah, that was... I probably didn't think about it enough when I moved over, but they were very dominant. And I think we took it for granted moving over how dominant the team was because they'd done it for, I don't know, four years, with, but not at an Olympic Games. Mm. Um so looking back, it's they it was a very good team. Mm. Um, they lost a couple of guys like Rob and uh, who else left that team? Rob Hammond, oh Dy, Dy, yeah, Leonard Young. So they lost a couple of guys, but still the core group was still there. And yeah, guys like Jamie and um, Eddie still playing and stuff yeah. like that. It was an incredible team. So I think I was just a bit naive going in and <laughs> didn't realize how good the team was. I wasn't really expecting to play much, but yeah, I was not too in awe of what was going on when I probably should have been yeah okay okay is it like something that you reflected on later or was it kind of like um did you ever look around and you're like oh I don't know maybe I should be here or was it felt pretty good um I think you always have those thoughts of whether you should be there um but I think my mindset sort of played it down going in because I as I said I wasn't part of the national squad technically technically so I wasn't really expecting to play many games Mm. so I was just going to train and see if I could get better and test myself against those guys yeah, yeah so going in I didn't really expect much so I wasn't really thinking about how good they were yeah um, but then as it got closer to 2016 and you're trying to make the Olympic team yeah and you start to think about who you're going up against yeah, yeah. and it was quite daunting true I remember um, when I first moved over I was talking to Swanee and he was just saying like in the in the lead up he said Olympic year is different um, and it just feels different it's a hard year and um, it's a really good challenging rewarding year is that kind of the experience you had leading into Rio or what was what was that like um, yeah it was a good year I, at the start of the year I don't think I expected to make the, the Olympic team mm. which was just because I was young and it was my first year in the actual national squad um, but then it was, as we got closer uh, we went to an Aslan Shah we went to a Champions Trophy um, so I was playing games which I wasn't really expecting to and then that got my confidence up and then the Olympic team got announced I wasn't in it and yeah it sort of hit me harder than I thought it would Mm. Um, had a week or so there week or two there where I was just really flat I think some guys were even flatter but it's expected when you're when you're missing an Olympic team I just wasn't expecting that because I wasn't at the start of the year I wasn't putting myself in the team Mm. really Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, okay. And um, we mentioned before you have a family of six, um, but you're quite close to, to your family as well. And as I said, Ely was over there. Um, brother-in-law, Orch, um, was over there. Probably consider him family. And I know you're close with Heath and, and your older brother, Kurt, um, who also played like high-level hockey in their own right. They both played AHL and um, both played for Australia in the indoor, which we'll get to later. But um, how's that with with you know hockey and, and missing out on teams or making teams or something like that having a big hockey family does that help um it's actually quite funny i think because my i don't think we talk much hockey mm. when we're together um i probably talk the most with kurt uh he's he's more of like a thinker around the game and enjoys the strategy and what what would what teams do in games um so i talk it a bit more with him but as a whole family we don't really talk too much hockey i don't think um, but I think that's good because with six of us all playing hockey, if we talked hockey, we'd probably get sick of it really quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for, sure. for um, sure. But yeah, growing up, we always played together. Um, I remember going down to the park where there was a uh, turf wicket cricket pitch and would sort of tear it up a bit and the groundsman wouldn't be happy with us, <laughs> kick us off a few times. Um, Real turf. Like, like grass manicure oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. like he, he's, he's worked hard on this yeah, pitch yeah 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 and we're just <laughs> there's this mob of ogilvies yeah. just running a mark put some cones down and just going crazy on, That's funny. on his grass yeah um, so yeah I think we're pretty competitive but when it's not hockey we're not really talking about hockey yeah okay okay is that what it was like growing up so when you were pretty young you started when you were five I think um, yeah I think I was five yeah um, my oh my mum and dad never played. Yeah, okay. um, my oldest brother started when he was in his teens, I think. Scott. Yeah, Scott. So yeah, we've all got him to thank. He one of his mates dragged him along to a mm. training and he liked it, and then the rest mm. of us joined in. Yeah, okay. If he didn't start playing, I'd know what I'd be doing. Yeah, I might be playing cricket. Dad liked cricket a bit. It's weird to think about. <laughs> dad liked rugby league, but no chance I'm playing rugby. You reckon? League. Not you don't have the physique for it. Look, I could probably put on a few more kilos and maybe play, but... Yeah, fair enough. Well, we, we're, we're heading into the gym after this, so maybe we can... It's not too late. No, it's not possible. It's not possible. I can't put on kilos. Absolutely. That is true. You've tried. I've tried. Often. I had a race with Belsey to the 80, and I hit 75. 75 is max, all-time max. All-time max, 75. Belsey hit 80. All-time low? Oh, no idea. Like, obviously, excluded. Once you've kind of hit, like, 22, 23. Oh, in the last couple of years I don't think I've dipped below 70 that's not bad yeah I'm very consistent that is consistent yeah a lot of people would probably be glad to have that problem <laughs> um, so why like so so Scott started played hockey you're kind of tagged along and always at the University of Wollongong yep yep just the local club decided to give it a go don't know why we went to University of Wollongong um, is that the closest club you grew up in Winuna or grew up in Winuna there was no clubs in, in the northern suburbs of Wollongong yep um, so it was either uni or fairy meadow which is a similar sort of area yeah um so no idea why scott went and played for uni but he did and it's a great club yeah yeah whenever i go back it's always good going to the social events yeah um they're a uni club so they do some (laughs) they do some good social events yeah um probably can't talk too much about those oh you talk about whatever you want (laughs) you talk about whatever you want um and so you playing juniors did you ever get to play with heath and because obviously hockey like you know the younger talented players typically like play up and play like five years of under 17s or something like that did you get to play with heath and with kurt probably would have been a bit too old would he uh yeah kurt was too old played with heath a lot um i think i started 
Well, I started in Minkies playing mm. field. Everyone plays field in mm. Minkies. Um, but then when Heath went to under-11s, they needed a goalkeeper. Oh, so yeah. I jumped in goals. Okay. So my actual hockey career started as a goalkeeper. Right. And I think I was okay. Not too bad. I was really small, though. Yeah. Um, so it was probably good that I was playing behind a very good team. Yeah. Um, didn't get a lot of work. Didn't get a lot of work, and that's probably why I started playing in the field, because I got bored. Yeah, fair enough. And then when I was actually under-11s age, took up field. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Here we are. Here we are. Then played with Heath. I think I played with him almost in every age group. Yeah. Played up in 13s, 15s, and 17s when he was when he was playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And there's a big contingent from Wollongong who come up and play in the Sydney comp as well, and it seems that everyone kind of gravitates towards more bang. It seems like a pretty hectic schedule. I mean, you play Saturday in Sydney, and then you guys play Sunday in Wollongong does that kind of I always wondered like I, I grew up in Sydney so driving to training wasn't too bad but you obviously have to drive and a lot of the the um, really good hockey players in, in New South Wales in particular come from the country there's a lot of driving involved yeah I don't I don't think I've realised how much driving was involved until I went to Perth yeah because okay. now when I come back if I tried to play Saturday and Sunday I don't think I could it's a stink it's a stink I'd probably have to prioritise playing in Sydney yeah yeah for Wollongong which is unfortunate but yeah. the driving's just too much yeah okay and also losing your Saturday and Sunday yep yep is, yep. Uh, is a bit too much true and quickly your siblings also we mentioned played representative hockey um, and fair to say there's probably been an Ogilvy in an underage state team for there would have been a 10 year period where there would have been two or three or four or however many Ogilvy's in the team um, how is that with your parents balancing sending all you guys to away to, to hockey camps and taking you all to training and those sorts of things it's a big family a lot of commitment I actually have no idea how they did it <laughs> yeah. no idea and I didn't even notice they were taking a front row when I was younger yeah. you just sort of go along and play but yeah looking back even just travelling for myself for hockey now it's I couldn't imagine doing it for six people it's a big effort <laughs> it's huge and especially hockey, you have to go all random places. Yeah. You have to go out to like Orange, Dubbo, yeah. Wagga, yeah. Tari. Lots of driving. <laughs> Not many things are in Sydney or Wollongong. No, exactly. So, yeah, they would have clocked up some Ks in the Toyota Turago. Absolutely. And they still do, actually. I mean, not the Turago per se, but um, Mike Ogilvy is definitely a... a a mainstay in especially Aslan Shah tournament um, and most hockey tournaments really like Michael just kind of pop up and he, he follows you everywhere you go and, and Penny as well very, very well Mike must have a relationship with the Sultan <laughs> surely he's there every he single year for one of the worst <laughs> tournaments to come to he's there regularly I love Aslan Shah <laughs> I think it's such a fun tournament it's pretty cool it's a fun tournament to play in yeah. I don't think there's much to see for for spectators yeah well other than some good hockey there's actually um, some very good bird watching in Epo actually which... there's one thing I can tell you Mike is an interesting <laughs> He's bird, bird watching <laughs> <laughs> that's funny okay let's go back to Perth um, we spoke a little bit about what it was like when you first moved over um, challenging but good to have Orch there nowadays let's just try and get a snapshot of what it's like you've been there for a long time I'm sure that kind of went pretty quickly I know for me it's mm. kind of like all of a sudden you know we've been there for like six years um, which goes really quick what's it like over there um, when you first move over it's great you're just hanging out with your mates all the mm. time not too many worries you're probably doing a bit of uni or something like that mm. um, so yeah it's good fun you go to the beach you're training doing what a young guy does yeah um, and then as you get a bit older you realise that you probably need to start taking life a bit serious mm. <laughs> 
and you got to try and whether it's continuing with uni putting more work into that or maybe trying to find a job or something mm. it gets a bit more stressful because everyone knows hockey's not the most well paid sport yep we get paid a decent decent amount but at some point you got to start looking into a career outside mm. of hockey so that's when it starts to get a bit stressful and knowing that Perth's not your home mm. it, yeah it gets a bit harder there because whether you want to take up a career in Perth and stay away yeah. from your family for longer or yep. wait till you come yep. home or maybe balance it each way yeah gets a bit harder yeah for sure and when you um, you spoke earlier about kind of growing a little bit older and and feeling that distance a little bit more is there anything in particular that made you feel a little bit further away from home in Perth recently um, obviously having a girlfriend that lives in Wollongong Tough. makes it harder but uh, she's going to move over for the next year which okay. is exciting that's cool um, but also just when your family starts to get a bit older and your brothers and sisters are having kids and you're missing out on all that that, that sort of stuff uh, that gets a bit hard you're missing birthdays just family gatherings you're always getting a FaceTime or something which is yeah. still good but you'd rather be there yeah yeah true um, and with the uh, I, I hear what you're saying about in the sense that um, while you're in the high performance program like there's always something to, to focus on like you, you could focus on hockey kind of 24-7 like that's possible and, and some guys are really good at doing that but um, again it can be a little bit distracting maybe from the fact that like once it ends there's there's you know a lot of life left to be lived so what are you doing in that space you're, you're studying you finished studying and what, what are you doing uh, yeah so I graduated Bachelor of Science majoring in exercise science in 2017 I think it was um, then I tried to find some work in that sort of space for a bit and it was just it was just really hard with hockey because mm. a lot of that stuff's early morning or late upper yeah working that and that's when we train yeah. so that got a bit hard so I started to look at what else I could study away from that I actually did a semester or half a semester in um, speech pathology oh yeah didn't love it no no it wasn't for me okay gave up after a few weeks yep and then went into um, medical sonography okay which is best way I describe it is you know when babies well if someone's pregnant yeah yeah doing a little probe with With the gel on the belly yeah it's that but for everything ah right okay okay I didn't know that no well, yeah, I, no. I knew that that was that, but I didn't know that you did that. Oh, that was yeah. weird. Uh, Doesn't Katie do that? She does a very specific version of it. Oh, she right. does just for... She does vascular, which yeah, is yeah. arteries and veins. Yeah, yeah, sure. And you're just doing general? General. Right. When did you start She that? got me into it. 2017 you started? Started, it. yeah. Or the second half of 2017. Yeah, okay. Do you like it? Yeah, it's interesting, but the system is a bit messed up. What do you mean? So I've done the first half of it. Yep. Now I need to have a placement to continue doing it. Right. And placements are hard to come by. Yes. Because no one wants to take on a student that doesn't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. There's a shout out to anyone out there who knows a spot for Flynn to do some medical sonography. Yeah, so um, it's not ideal to do with hockey. No, absolutely. And you're studying over in Perth. Uni SA, actually. Uni SA? Online. Ah, nice, yeah. okay. Okay, easy. Nice one. Your new hometown. Yeah, almost my new hometown. <laughs> yeah, my parents have recently moved to Adelaide, so I've been told I'm, I'm currently from Adelaide. Okay, so that's good. Was there a time where, like, studying, obviously, it was good for you because you were already studying when you came into the program and it was kind of easy to keep going. Was there a time where you were thinking, like, ah, oh, like, maybe just focus entirely on hockey or study? You always knew that you had to, to do something else. Uh, I always wanted to do something else away from hockey except for maybe at the start of this year mm-hmm. where we were training to go to Tokyo yep. which I then deferred uni yep. 
one because I needed a placement, which was never going to happen. Yeah. And two, just to focus on hockey for six months. Yeah. And okay. See how it goes. Give, okay. it a, give it a crack. Yeah. But then COVID happened, and now I'm stuck yeah. in New South Wales <laughs> with no uni to do. So that how funny things have changed. Like if this was a few years ago, then it would you'd you'd be cheering. You still have uni to do. Everyone. It gets hard. I have to say, it gets hard when. Um, like I know initially moving back like you go back and everyone's still at uni so you can always see your mates and everyone's kind of around and then all of a sudden people just start getting jobs yeah and jobs they're just the worst thing ever <laughs> they're people need to just be unemployed like <laughs> yeah. me and just hang out with me all the time <laughs> I agree right now like we're doing this at 2pm on a Thursday Sorry to interrupt. Now, if you missed it last week, we spoke to two times and reigning female world player of the year, Ava de Gouda, about her stellar career, and she was brilliant. And this is just one of the stories from one of her three Olympic Games. Check it out. You climbed that metaphorical mountain, like it was New Zealand, right, in the semifinal. Mm. Um, you yeah. beat them and then on to play Argentina, who you'd lost to in 2010 just a couple of years Mm. earlier did that make it more special playing Argentina or what were the feelings like going into that game because you you won quite convincingly in the end it was 2-0 um yeah what was that I remember that it was actually funny but I remember when we played our semi-final against New Zealand before they played their Mm semi-final and in the Olympic Village Argentina was staying at the other side of the yeah, little street that we were at. Um, so they were actually right there. And I remember that we were sort of like sleeping in our beds and they came back from their semifinal and they were like making these sort of like wolf sounds like, and then they were like, Naomi, Lidoi, Ellen, like we're coming for you. And we heard them screaming that on the streets. And we were like, are you actually kidding me that you're Whoa. doing, but that's like, that's their passion and that's what they do. And that's, yeah what they feel that they probably had to do. But I think from that moment on, because every single one of us heard that, yeah. we're like, no ways we're going to yeah. get, you know, like there's no way you're going to win this by like trying to influence us like that or trying to like get us out of our game like that. And I think from that moment on, everyone was like, this is it. We're not going to lose this game. And I remember that feeling again, a feeling so strongly that you, yeah, you're not going to lose it. This is, mm. this is going to be our game. Even before we started it, we knew we had won. More of that from Ava in episode 10 of The Help Side. If you missed it, go back and have a look. You will not be disappointed. Now, back to Flinner. All right, I want to talk a little bit about adversity. You had um, you played 109 games for the Cougars now, but it wasn't smooth sailing. Um, you had a really bad injury in 2017, I think. So that was kind of after the after Rio. A lot of the, the team kind of moved on, and um, and you started you more or less a mainstay in that in that kind of centre half DM DM role, and playing some really really good hockey. And then um, did you have it? Do you want to just talk about the lead up to that and and that incident? Yeah, well, I think most of my career has been pretty smooth. I haven't mm. missed out on too much or injured myself much. Had a few small niggles, and so. I think I was pretty lucky up until 2017. Mm. Um, so yeah, I was missed out on the Olympics in 2016, which was quite hard. But then a lot of the guys moved on, which mm. made space for for me to try and cement my spot 
my spot, which I thought I was doing at the start of 2017, end of 2016, start of 2017. Um, I was playing some of the best hockey I thought I'd played mm. um, and just playing pretty free, yeah. not really worrying too much. And then, bang, <laughs> the hammy gets torn off the bone, which yeah. was... I didn't really know what to do with it because I had, as I said, I hadn't injured myself much. Um, it was pretty tough to start with, uh, but then all our medical stuff was pretty good. Mm. They got me straight in for a scan. So I saw a very good surgeon, mm. um, and he put it back on. <laughs> and then yeah, I was in. I was in a uh, brace for six weeks. Mm. I think it was six weeks where I couldn't do anything. Um, Katie came over to visit in that time, which was good. Got me out of the house a bit. um, Kept me entertained. And then basically started my rehab for nine or 10 months. Long time. So you you actually did your hammy. I think I remember it very clearly, actually. You were were playing GB. Um, I remember the first half, you were untouchable. Like they just could not get the ball off you. And for the most of the tournament, um, just playing unbelievable hockey. And then... It was at Aslan Shah. So when you were kind of sledging it to yeah, because Mike before like maybe there's sorry, some sorry Malaysia. <laughs> maybe there are some bad memories there. Um, but do you remember the actual feel like you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but the actual feeling of what happened, you you kind of jackknifed or what? Yeah, so actually a funny thing. Mm. Andy Philpot, mm. one of the nicest guys alive, yep. um, passed me the ball mm. that was in front of me and I sort of lunged to reach it end up missing it by a long way so I probably shouldn't have lunged <laughs> and my knee hyperextended body went over the top and I just felt a pop I felt a pop in the middle of my hamstring which is weird because it tore off the top yeah okay it tore off my hip yeah um so I thought I'd just torn it not torn it off the bone um but Andy Philpot was so sorry for <laughs> passing me the ball so upset that he passed the ball too far in front of me and he was he was more upset than I was I think <laughs> Which is typical him because he's so nice. That's classic. Um, and he's a doctor, actually. Yeah. So he should have known better. He should have. But the other thing, he's probably one of the most enthusiastic hockey players ever. Like, he practices with two <laughs> hockey sticks. And the only man I know that takes a spare hockey stick to go and play in the street while we're away on tournaments. So, yeah. Yeah. And I felt quite bad for him, actually, because yeah. he felt bad for making... Well, he thought he made me tear my hamstring when it yeah. wasn't really his fault. Yeah. Um, Do you want to get that on record now? So it's not. Is it his fault? Or <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not your fault. <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to listen. To anyway, there you go. So I thought that was quite funny that he was more distraught than I was. Um, but also, Spoon was playing. Dylan Wallace-Spoon. and he came over and asked me whether I was cramping. <laughs> Dylan always gets cramps. Like always. I remember playing. Remember playing um, 2013 here in Sydney at the International Youth Olympic Festival or whatever and Spoon like he just could not play because he kept getting cramps in both his hamstrings it was like that scene from um, Ace Ventura Ace Ventura when he shot with two arrows when he gets shot with two arrows that's Dylan Wallace <laughs> with cramps uh, anyway yeah go so on. yeah it was a good good experience I had Potsy feeling very bad for me <laughs> Dill asked me if I was cramping, cramping which for 10 seconds I was like mm, maybe, maybe it was a cramp yeah but it wasn't a cramp and then we won't talk about the... Uh, no, we won't talk about yeah. that. Um, and then <laughs> and then we got to... Um, so you got back to Perth and at what stage was like, how, how was the rehab? Because for people who don't know, like 10 months in a high performance environment, like you moved to Perth to, to play hockey and all of a sudden you can't do it for 10 months. And I remember watching you doing lap after lap after lap and running, just endless running. It's not, not fun. Yeah, it was... It was tough at stages, but I think overall 
quite easy for a 10 month injury sure um don't know why it was easy but I just tried to hang around the boys as much as I could. Mm. Um, there was times where you'd finish training and I'd be in the change rooms just sitting there, obviously mm. not getting changed because I didn't train. <laughs> but I'd just sit there and talk to the boys. Mm. Um, just try to stay involved as much as I could. And also, my, our SNCs, Dave Belly and BA, both, both great people mm. and spending a lot of... If you're going to spend time with SNC, it's going to be them. Yeah. Because that was, that was pretty fun, although I hated Dave towards the end what did he make you do um bad stuff just not bad just the 400s just running around an oval in a certain time just it's not fun no and he just he wouldn't give me any leeway <laughs> wouldn't give me a few seconds extra rest or anything like that he made me go on the second mm. and so he's lucky he's a good bloke because otherwise you'd hate him it wouldn't have been a good yeah good uh true you kind of have to be yeah snc for that long i reckon it's kind of like a i'm not sure whether the SNCs agree with this, but when you're in rehab, they kind of treat you a little bit differently. Uh, they're a bit nicer to you. They have to. They have to. Because you're spending so much time with them. And you're just not playing. So you, nah. you've got to, you're going to be in a bad mindset if you're getting sledged True. by the SNCs and True. not playing. True. Is it, um, because it's such a long time in rehab, did it, like mentally, what are the, what are the outcomes like? Because, you know, for example, these 400s, it's kind of like a non-negotiable, like you're going on the minute every, or whatever, on the second to the second or whatever. Is it is it kind of like good brain training or good mental training? I didn't really think about it like that. Um, I think I like, I'm a person that likes routine, so I didn't mind the knowing when I had to run and how long I was running for. Yeah. So that was pretty good. I didn't, I, I'm not, I don't love running though. Mm. So the running part was not great, mm. but the fact that it was, I knew exactly what I had to do. I could prepare for it and, just get through it rather than waiting to hear what I was going to be doing it on the day yeah um but yeah it was I don't know getting towards the end was probably the hardest bit because I felt like I could play mm. but they just I remember there was you had a India or something World League 4 yeah, yeah. World League 4 at the yeah, end yeah, of the yeah. year and yeah, there were so really many cool. injuries and I was like yeah I feel like I could play mm. but they just didn't send me which mm. was probably good decision yeah yeah <laughs> but that was the hard bit where you could where you know you're close but you still got to do all the rehab running and yeah that sort of stuff yeah for sure for sure that's that's the the rehab done 2017 you were um world league well didn't go to world league there was obviously the commonwealth games coming up soon after that so maybe easier to to kind of justify that that decision or was that kind of what you were aiming for or you were aiming for that world league berth mm, i wasn't aiming for the world league um I just remember I was going tracking well. Yeah. And there were heaps of injuries. Yeah. Um, I think some guys from out of the squad had to be called in to play. Yeah. Um, so I, I just thought maybe I was a chance to go when realistically I wasn't. I, there was no way the SNCs were going to let me go play mm. seven games or six yeah. games or whatever it was in two weeks. Um, so yeah, the goal the whole time was to be back for 2018. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, home Commonwealth Games, pretty big. Yeah. So rehab, you said wasn't that wasn't that bad as far as rehab goes. What about coming out of rehab? Um, early on, I didn't know what people complained about coming out mm. of injuries. Mm. <laughs> I came back feeling great. Obviously, yeah, uh, SNCs did a great job with me. Um, and then, yeah, we played the Dutch in Narragin and then Perth. Yes, yes, we did. We played not in four games. Yeah. And 
I was lucky to play all four. I think they just wanted to see how I was going. Mm. Um, and I was feeling fine. Mm. Um, maybe a bit of fitness was down yep. after not playing hockey for a year. But Hammy was feeling great. I didn't have any issues. Um, and then as I went through, I started to get niggles. Um, I got a nerve problem in my leg where the scar, t- where the nerve had stuck to the scar tissue and it was just causing mm. pain through my leg. And yep. that was going on till the end of 2018, all the way Long through time. to the World Cup. Um, so that that was the hardest bit when like I got back and I was fine so everyone's like everyone thought I was over the injury and then it, the niggles started to come back and I tried to explain it to people but it was quite, quite hard to explain yeah. and they just sort of kept saying that just keep playing you'll be fine mm. you're not you're not injured so tough that was the tough bit when you're getting niggles that it's kind of hard to explain yeah 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 that's tough and what about mentally I mean playing international you'd sort Oh, in my opinion, a lot of it is about just being like mentally strong, confident in your own ability and that sort of thing. I know when I came back from long injury, it took a long time to kind of get back to that um, that level. And I know it was kind of the hardest thing for me, I reckon, was the fact that um, you're back and you're playing, but you're not playing as well as you know you can play. And then it's just like you start thinking, why aren't I as good? Why aren't I as good? And that sort of thing. Did you have anything like that? Yeah, it probably came with the niggles. Sure. Um, I think I came back playing decent. Um, obviously wasn't at my best because yep. I hadn't played for 10 months but I was I was pretty happy with how I was going yep. happy confident to be back. happy to be back Com Games was coming up so I was excited yep. um, went to Com Games think I did okay mm. and then the niggles started to come along leading into the World Cup um, missed a few I think I missed a couple like, oh I moved got moved positions yeah. moved into the AM and then to the striker yep. which I didn't love at the time but now looking back, I wasn't playing great, so mm. probably justified. Yeah. Um, so that sort of killed my confidence. Yeah. Um, getting moved from a position I'd played for two years yeah. by that time. Um, yeah. It was that was quite hard to deal with. Uh, yeah. Going into the World Cup, lost all confidence. Yeah. Um, my hammy was sore. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah. It just it was that part was pretty tough. Yeah. Um, then we lost the World Cup semi. I didn't feel like I played good the whole tournament. And, yeah, so that, that got pretty tough mm. towards the end of 2018, carried over into 2019. And then I can't remember what changed, but I just decided not to worry too much. <laughs> I was playing striker, yeah. have some fun up there, yeah. and then started to get back into things. Yeah. When I just want to kind of zone in on that, that kind of trough period. Um, and I'm sure every elite athlete has something like that along along the career and any any athlete really is going to have a period there where they're down on confidence and, and not playing the best they can be do you remember what it was like kind of day to day in there or, or um, I yeah. just I think I just got really frustrated mm. people in general yeah whether it's teammates or coaches um, I was just getting frustrated at, I think I was more getting frustrated at myself but I just took it out on what coaches were telling me to do like yeah. play striker you're not playing midfield anymore. You've got to focus on playing striker. And I'm like, no, I'm not a striker. I'm a midfielder. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just during training, if someone gets up you for doing something wrong, which you, most times you do do wrong. Yeah. Um, you just you bite back a lot more when you're down on down on confidence, down on form. Yeah. And you're just not having as much fun. Yeah. 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 And then coming out of it. I mean, um, that that's a that's a fair while to be to be in that kind of cycle. Um, getting out of it, you don't know what happened, or was there a big mind shift change, mindset shift? Um, probably started at the World Cup. Um, 
Fitzy, our culture coach, just mm-hmm. sort of said that, like, you got to sort of deal with playing striker. You know, everyone knows it's not where you want to play, but you're playing for the national team. You got to do. Yeah. You got to do. So that sort of helped, and then he showed me what Moose and Ed, our co-captains, had said about me, and it was like, I'm a game changer. Mm skills are very good something like that yeah so just knowing that your leaders think that of you was re- was really good yeah I sort of wish he showed me that earlier <laughs> <laughs> so, didn't, yeah. so it didn't take me six months to um <laughs> to get out of it but then even it still even carried over into 2019 mm. i still didn't love playing striker mm. although i'd sort of come to terms with it yeah i still wanted to get back into the midfield yeah which was sort of hard to do when you're playing striker because mm. you're just locked in that role yeah um, so it carried over then, and I think I just came to terms with playing striker. Yeah. Make the most of it. Yeah. Score some goals, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. some fun up there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I remember um, in your 100th game, we were playing in Japan. I don't know if you were playing striker or back in the midfield then, but I remember you scored a pretty sweet goal on your 100th. Um, do you remember, was that kind of around the time that you started to feel, it was probably a bit earlier than that, to be honest, because that was probably July. I'd say um, and we had a lot of pro league in the lead up to that but was there kind of like a game where you, you kind of like found found form again or something like that it was like a gradual mm, I think it was more gradual yeah. pro league was a bit tough to start with it, it was so coming out of the world cup I don't I didn't play well there so the start of pro league in 2019 I was in and out of the team yeah. which was fine because I wasn't playing my best and then I started to get selected a bit more regularly as a striker, so I started to get confidence. Yeah. Um, and then going to the end of the Pro League where we were playing in Europe and into the finals, that's when mm. I just started to get a bit more confident. I was playing most games. Yeah. And, yeah, playing pretty well. Yeah. That's it for part A. See you soon for part B, where Flynn talks life on tour, indoor hockey, and alopecia. That's it for another episode of The Help Side. Special thanks to my production team of David Moore and Tim Collier, plus countless others working behind the scenes to get this to you. You're the real MVPs. Again, if you're liking the show, please like, subscribe, you know the drill, and get in touch with us via our socials. We would love to hear from you. Anyway, that's all, folks. See you next week.